This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Well, the Oscar nominations just came out for the 93rd Academy Awards, which are happening later this year, but we're going to talk about who is nominated, what it means, hot takes, who is snubbed, all that sort of fun stuff, just really quick reactions of it all. And joining me is Sammy Felchenfeld, who is normally our resident geek guest, but also uh, I like having him on for the Oscars because it's fun, so why not? So welcome back, Sammy. Glad to be here. And I'm, I am sad to say this will be the first year in many years that we won't be watching the Oscars together because of the pandemic. So that is a bit of a bummer. But I'm here. I'm here to talk non-nerdy things for once. <laughs> are, are you saying the Oscars are not nerdy? They're less nerdy than how much I could talk about WandaVision on its own. <laughs> or we'll save the, the, the Snyder Cut Justice League stuff for another time. Oh, boy, that podcast will be as long as the movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. This is going to be the first, sadly, the first year. And I think the previous four years, we watched them together, previous three years with our with our friend group. But yeah, it's going to be really weird for the first time in, in a long time that we're not going to be celebrating together. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to, to live message each other about it and then, you know, complain and complain without being without doing it face to face. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure exactly how this is going to work, uh, but we'll have to figure something out. We are going to give our reactions to the Oscar nominations and some snubs. We'll start off with the best picture. This is going to be the last year where there's anywhere between five and ten nominees. Starting next year, it's going to be a solid ten regardless, and I cannot wait for that. But this year, we have eight nominees, and they are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Now, I know this year with so many big tentpole movies and the higher profile, I don't want to call them indie movies, but, you know, your your Dunes, your French Dispatches, your In the Heights, that sort of stuff that would normally uh, get a lot of attention come awards time. They were not there. They all got pushed back. So that sort of paved the way to allow maybe some more smaller films like Minari and Nomadland to, to get in. But I think if anyone's been kind of paying attention to how award season in the movie year has gone especially with with critical reception top 10 lists all this sort of stuff none of that was really surprising for me i know you haven't seen a ton of the the nominated films but looking at this best picture list were you shocked by it or did it just kind of look like about what you maybe expected it to i think that you put it out on the head like it, it looked like about what i expected it to and to be honest i don't think this is that far off than what it would have been with the tent poles the movies that were delayed um, to this year are, you know, blockbusters for the most part, the movies that are meant to make a billion dollars or whatever in, in theaters. And those movies don't really get Best Picture nominations. I do like what you said, though, about the 10, the solid 10. I think we're going to always have that one or two kind of, um, I, I'll always remember the first time we the increase from five and Avatar was nominated, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And it was sort of just a like, hey, everyone, we can nominate popular movies, too. Um, so we'll open that too, not to say these aren't popular, but the thing that struck me is that even the years where I don't see a ton of the movies, so few of these were movies where ahead of time, I even knew that much about it. There's, I'd say three on the list were movies that I really knew enough about. Um, I'm going to straight up say I haven't seen a single one, unfortunately, of the Best Picture nomination nominees, but I have time, which is good. Um, but that's the big thing for me is that I tend to know more about it from, you know, box office and Hollywood stuff and film festivals. And we kind of missed a lot of that um, or it wasn't as front and center in the last year. 
Yeah. I, you know, I, I look at this list and the ones that didn't make the cut include Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, De Five Bloods, News of the World, and Soul were probably the ones that were, were most likely to be in contention, especially if they went up to the full 10 nominee slate. But yeah, uh, I'm not really surprised with, with any of it. You know, if we were to go of the biggest films, The Trial of Chicago 7 and Mank were ones that were both, you know, received pretty well critically and had big pushes behind them and are directed by big name people and have big, huge casts with big celebrities and all that sort of stuff. And then you, you on, on the flip side, you had Nomadland and, and Minari uh, and The Father and Sound of Metal, which had been kind of sweeping the different festival circuits and making, you know, the top of critics best of list and all that sort of stuff. So none of it really stood out. It's not like, like I know, I think if something like news of the world ended up getting in, it would kind of be like Ford v Ferrari last year where it was like, yeah, it was a good movie, but I'm a little surprised you're including it in, in the best picture race. Whereas everything that's in it kind of makes sense. And there's no really like truly terrible movie this year that made the cut. I know obviously some, especially something like promising young woman, which is a very polarizing film for some people. Uh, it's not like, I'm trying to think of some examples like Bohemian Rhapsody or uh, Green Book or something like that, where like very clearly from the get go, people were like, this is an awful movie. How did this get into the mix? Well, I think a good comparison even to that is Joker last year, a movie that I did not like and many people loved and many people also did not like. Um, I think that this is less divisive, but I think that, I mean, this is a big question. I was just talking about it before this um, at home too, is that, uh, you know, all the award shows have had, terrible ratings. Pretty much everything is a terrible rating this year. Even though everyone's stuck at home watching TV, no one's really interested in something celebrating media that they couldn't really engage with in the same way. And that has been an issue for the Oscars for a long time, so much to the point that they almost created that popular film category. This is a list of movies that, yes, thanks to streaming, many of them, you know, premiered on streaming, which is handy. Um, but I think that capturing capturing kind of widespread attention, this list ain't it. And that's fine. And I think it's sort of the the um as long as they can get their heads out of their butts um a little bit and kind of look at movies i mean i'll, I'll bring it up just with Mank because i have to i say this every year hollywood loves hollywood i don't think it's going to win to be honest a ton of the awards it was nominated for um and it's great that it was nominated for so many but i think i think that we are starting to see that very 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 slow shift to a little bit more kind of diverse films getting out there and getting seen and not saying just films with diverse cast, because that's amazing that there's better nominations in diversity this year, but also just different stories um, that almost something like the trial of the Chicago seven is, is something that would have won best picture 10 years ago, just based on all the pieces about it, you know, the cast, um, Aaron Sorkin, all those pieces, but now it's less of a, a sure thing. Yeah, no, that, that raises a very good point. Uh, it's been, you know, a very slow and gradual effort by the Academy to diversify, uh, especially with getting new members in, new blood in, people of uh, people of color, people not from the United States, more women, uh, a whole bunch of things. Try and change the demographics so it's not so old and white. Uh, I'm not sure if they are if they're trying to uh, necessarily cut members out because I know. I do know, like, uh, take, for example, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. There was a lot of complaints with the way that was being run and, and how the, because it's voted on by by the 
Journalists Association. And the problem is you have the, these people who are voting members but hadn't covered baseball for like 20 years and suddenly they're expected to be knowledgeable still about it. And so it's sort of the same thing where you're looking at some of the the academy voters who maybe haven't really done anything of note in 20, 30 years and aren't really paying attention to the industry and you're getting, you know, the stuff that we would typically expect of Oscar bait sort of things. And luckily, I know, I know still, I haven't heard any real blowback as far as uh, lack of diversity from this year, which I think is going to be hard to make that argument considering how diverse it is this year. And and I'm so happy for it, but it's going to be an ever evolving shift that I think this is just like a a slow, gradual step in the direction as the Academy keeps uh, fixing their blind spots and filling in their gaps where it's going to maybe take another five, six, seven years to maybe get the Academy to where, uh, they would like it to be. Yeah. And I think you make a great point because every year with the golden globes, everyone suddenly just, you know, they forget. And then they suddenly remember that the the voters of the golden globes is a very, very small and kind of, to be honest, quite random number of people that just, you know, society has gotten to the point where the golden globes are a quote unquote big deal. Um, And I think it's interesting to, like you say, it's, it's who's, who's voting for this, who's watching the screeners. There's almost even less, assuredness that that the entire academy watched all the screeners this year um that you know i think that that i think that it, it's one of those things this is this is an area where you know in 10 years hopefully we're looking back and being like you know 10 years ago wasn't so bad the list that they chose but things are even better now um but i also think that that you know the the system needs to to give more space for diverse voices and diverse film to just be seen by people um, and that I think is also the needle is very slowly moving. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that they've managed to do to help make it a little better as far as people actually seeing the movies that they're they're voting on, because in the past, you know, every year there's articles, I think, from like Vanity Fair or Hollywood Reporter about like um, anonymous Oscar voters and what their thoughts are. And like sometimes Real voters will, will, will tie their names to their quotes and things like that. But it's like usually some of the most absurd quotes that you can have ever imagine. Like, how is this person voting on this? And kind of gives credence to the people that are able to so easily dismiss the Oscars. And that's fine. If you don't care about the Oscars, then, then that's fine. I enjoy them. But they the Academy has set up their own streaming service where you now – if you want to be eligible to vote for for certain things like uh, the international film, if you want to vote for that, you needed to have watched, I think it was something uh, like 70% of the shortlisted nominees. So it was about 20 movies. So you had to have watched about close to 15 of the movies just to be able to submit a ballot for your picks for those, which is a great thing to do. I, I don't know how it exactly works once the final voting process goes, but for a lot of these guilds, they really do make you uh, have to watch either the shortlist or uh, confirm that you are actually watching these movies to be able to vote on them, which which hopefully this is going to mean more uh, informed decisions going forward. Hopefully is definitely the key word. I think we'll, we'll kind of see how things go, especially um, we can't imagine what next year's Oscars is going to look like, but we have to assume that more films will be released this year in theory. Um, and, uh, and, and most of them either films that were delayed or films that were produced during the pandemic, which will have a big impact on things too. But um, I think you're right. It's nice to hear that there's some thresholds. There's a bit more management to that stuff. And to be honest, I'm sure there's, there's Academy members saying, why are you changing things? It's worked for the 60 years I've been a member. So let me, let me still do it that way. But now we do get movies 
that maybe wouldn't have been nominated get nominated. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, let's start talking about maybe some of the more specific ones. Leading the pack was Mank, the David Fincher movie with 10 nominations. Other than, you know, it did get four big above the line nominations with with best picture, best director, best actor and best supporting actress. But a lot of the support did come from the technical field. You mentioned earlier about it. It's a movie about Hollywood and things like that. If this is our like sort of headline or big Oscar movie of the year when it's based on a, a 1940. Seven, I want to say, movie Citizen Kane, which, while it definitely has its place in history and in a movie I really love, is not really one that's like super, you know, referenced or, or talked about in, in today's film landscape. And this is like sort of a, a subtle homage. Obviously, it's about the writing of Citizen Kane. It's really interesting that this is the the big Academy movie and one that I know that some people are having a bit of a tough time as a, a way to get into. Yeah, I think it's. Um... I mean, the the parallel draws for me, of course, is the artist because it's another black and white film. I know that doesn't make them the same. Um, and I also know that reading some people's responses to seeing Mank is what kind of delayed me from actually seeing it once it came to Netflix um, last winter or in the recent winter. Um, I think that, that it, it's it's almost a good sign for all the other films in a weird way. Like, Yes, David Fincher, of course, was going to be nominated for Best Director. Of course, Gary Oldman was going to get a nomination. There's going to be nominations left and right. But I, like I said before, I actually see it not winning a ton um, of the awards. Uh, it, it's hard for me to kind of make make my claim on certain things. But looking at just the list of cinematographers, it's even just like, yeah, you know, there's I, I know a few of these other names, and I know and I know their work, and it's hard for me to speak to to specific things. I think I think there's only a handful of categories where I've seen enough people to seen enough films to make um, educated guesses on pieces. But I think it is an interesting sort of like like you said, it's it's the Hollywood film, and it could leave with nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it seems like maybe about once a decade, there's there's a movie that like gets close to or around 10 nominations that walks away either completely empty handed or almost empty handed. And, you know, I don't, I, I look at this in maybe production design, maybe. And that's the only thing of their ability was, was Fincher's ability to basically recreate all these uh, classic Hollywood backlot sets and all that sort of great stuff. That's, that is a real highlight of the movie. But other than that, like, I don't know. Gary Oldman isn't in the running for, for best actor. Amanda Seyfried, as much as I, I think she's probably the best part of the movie, isn't going to win. David Fincher's not going to win at all. Um, the costume design was, was nice. The sound is not going to win at all. The score, the people that did it, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, are probably going to win for their other movie, Soul. So, like, like I don't even know what the, what this movie is going to win for. Like, a lot of it, I could be like, yeah, if, you know, things break its way, maybe it'll be the number two pick that slides up into number one. But, like, I, I don't see where it's going to have a path to victory. I see it as a movie that benefits more from being nominated yeah. than anything else. It's one of those, it, it's almost like that movie where now, like, the people in it or the people involved, like from Academy Award nominated so and so, um, which is which is a, unfortunately it's a stepping stepping stone for some people in their careers. Um, that you almost need to do it. It's like the many times nominated, never winning folks. Um, but at the same time, like it's it's you, it, it's still good to see um, 
what it can bring the people involved with it. But then, of course, it's sort of like, this is like, I'm going to say it, it's a super white film. There's a handful of super white films in Best Picture and then a bunch of super not white white films, too. And what impact that will take on the Academy and, and how people will rate performances against just being more inclusive and be, and and looking at things from a more equitable lens. Mm-hmm. If if we were to look at uh, probably the front runner for a lot of awards, and that's going to be Nomadland, which has six nominations. There's actually six movies with six nominations apiece, which is really interesting to see how it's it's the, the almost all the awards are, are to about ten movies, which is so interesting. Normally, you get like a whole bunch more. That's you know two and three sort of stuff, and there, there is that, but like it's really top heavy this year. Uh, but Nomadland looks to be the front runner for both best picture, best director, and maybe even best actress as well, which is really interesting. Uh, Chloe Zhao, who who directed it, uh, actually becomes the first woman to have four nominations in a single year because she she directed it, she produced it, she's got a screenplay nomination, and she also got a film editing nomination, which that in itself is just crazy that one person could be so great at so many things. And she has a legitimate shot to win probably about three of the awards. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if we, will, if we see what we normally see. You know, best director goes to one person. Um, in this case, is it going to be Lee Isaac Chung or something? And then Best Picture is going to go to to Nomadland in this example. I do have to call out for nerd nerd reasons. Um, Chloe Zhao's next film is Eternals, which interestingly enough was originally going to re- release, um, and that's a Marvel film, of course. I don't know why I'm saying of course. Not everyone knows that. Um, it was originally going to release last November, so it would have been entering into award season. Nomadland was probably going to be released around the same time too, anyway. So it would have been entering award season season with. Hey, Chloe Zhao, who did this big Marvel movie, is also nominated for all these other things. It would have had no impact on anything, to be honest. But um, it it is so interesting to me to see because Marvel and Disney in particular are are doing this thing of scooping up directors sort of before they get their Oscar, um, their Oscar moment, or maybe maybe kind of a little different, like a little different in their career for that. Um, I just need to call that out because it's sort of like, I highly doubt she'll be doing big hundred million plus movies after Eternals. I think it was probably just an interesting arrangement that really worked. Um, not saying financial, I'm just saying just, you know, she may have seen the story and just decided it was it was something she wanted to work on. But anyway, all this to say, to also have a bunch of young um, Best Director nominees is kind of neat too. Like every, not everyone, but a number of them are, you know, late 30s, early 40s, um, which is just... Uh, you know, I, I got to say I'm a little jealous of that. Not that that was the career I was going to take, but it's also good to see fewer of the same names that are now getting up in their years have been nominated a few times, especially in the director category. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, you know, interesting about Chloe Zhao is uh, other than Eternals, another thing she has lined up is a adaptation of Dracula. Yes, I did forget about that, but you're right. Yeah, so she, she is continuing these bigger movies. Obviously, I think I could I could see how the director of Nomadland can do an adaptation of Dracula more so than uh, the director of Nomadland do a, a giant Marvel movie. So that's going to be interesting. Definitely. And maybe we'll be talking about it at the next Oscars. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit. I won't really go completely in order, but I, I guess the, the nice thing is that the, the great thing about this year is that there's two women 
nominated for a best director which is the most it's ever happened which is is obviously shocking but i believe there are only the sixth and seventh women ever to be nominated for best director with only one winning uh previously Catherine Catherine bigelow for the hurt locker uh and we also have like a, a person of color as well obviously chloe Zhao, who is chinese but uh, lee isaac chung who is south korean who directed minari so it's probably the most diverse group for director. And then you also include Thomas Vinterberg, who is Danish and you only have one, you know, white American man, which obviously, you know, I'm putting a lot of qualifiers on that, but like still when you consider what the Academy traditionally is, that's still a lot of diversity. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more. I think we also have to, to, to acknowledge that hopefully the, the companies that are distributing movies and producing movies are, giving more opportunities to directors of color as well. Um, but it's also the Academy's noticing, or at least that the companies are doing their effort to, to bring up these films for your consideration. Um, I think that, that uh, we're long past celebrating, you know, having um, the, the same three Mexican directors who are all amazing as you, as everyone on the podcast who listens to the podcast will know, I love Alfonso Cuaron, probably my favorite director still um, not saying he shouldn't get more nominations, but I, it's nice to see at least a bit of movement. Um, a bit of more representative movement. And it's, it's like, it's like we were saying, it's like David Fincher is not going to win best director. I, I don't know a lot about promising young women, but I do know the, I do know kind of the, the feedback to it. That's sort of what I've seen more than anything. Um, and I guess it's, uh, like, it, it's amazing that, um, Emerald Fennel is nominated. I just, I, I guess I don't know enough about it to, to know, you know, is that like based on the feedback, is that something that makes sense? Is it, it, what are the pieces at play, I guess, that make this a, a such an, an interesting nomination? I, I'm a really big fan of this movie. This is a movie that every, it seems like almost every year or maybe every other year, there's a movie where you have to have an opinion on it and it's going to be very divisive. You either clearly fall on one side or the other. There, there's very little room for uh, being in the middle. I would maybe even, you know, say something like Joker last year where you either were, were very in love with what it was trying to do or you just couldn't believe what they're trying to say for me uh three billboards outside ebbing ebbing missouri i don't understand how anyone could have liked that movie where there were so many issues i like that movie <laughs> see see <laughs> and like it, it yeah, this, okay. this is not to like you know point any fingers of like you got this wrong or why why don't you agree with me but it seems like almost every year there's there's just one of those movies where it's going to be very difficult very divisive where you sort of fall on one side or you fall on the other and you just you you just basically have to walk away and be like all right well you have your view i have my view there there's no there's no meeting in the middle and promise young woman is that movie this year i really went for it it she walks a super tight rope of how do you I, I even feel weird saying this. How are you able to make a, a dark comedy out of something so serious and tragic as uh, systemic sexual violence against women to the point that they may kill themselves? Like, how, like say, saying that line, that doesn't indicate at any point that this is a comedy. And yet she's able to weave some very dark moments. And most of it is... Uh, allowing these either these you know would be nice guys and, and perpetrators of of violence and sexual assault to basically uh, eat their own feet, basically uh, not just put their foot in their mouth, but you know shove their entire leg down their mouth, and we get to laugh at how idiotic and stupid they are as they try to explain away their intentions and things like that. 
of course, there is the very darkly elements to it. Uh, and it's, and it's one where I can very easily see where I'm not gonna, you know, especially if you have been a victim of, of sexual assault of any kind, if you, if you watch this movie and either can't get behind its message or the way it tries to get its message across, I'm not going to be one that says, uh, you're wrong because this is, this is the type of movie that I think your experiences are really going to heavily play into it. I think that's an interesting thing that could be said for all the best picture nominees. Um, that for the most part, I mean, Mank is probably one of the few kind of outliers, maybe the trials of Chicago seven. It is a, a lot of the movies will be kind of seen through a lens of, of people's own experiences. And you have Nomadland with grief and Minari with the newcomer experience and, and sound of metal of, of, of just sort of relationship with the music and art and stuff. And I think that, that that's, that's a, it's a through line for all best picture nominees, I'd say. Um, but I think that it's, it, it, hearing this sort of from your perspective based on what I know about it, I think that that is really interesting and it sort of shapes. I mean, I, I call back to Roma, which had a, an extremely intense moment in the middle that I don't even know if enough time has passed that it's not a spoiler, so I won't talk about it. But it was something I was not prepared for. And it was literally the first time I left a movie being like, there should be trigger warnings on this movie, <laughs> like at the very beginning or even before someone goes in, acknowledging these specific things. If you've been in an experience similar to what the, the lead goes through sort of middle second half of the movie. Um, and it's, it's just kind of like, uh, it's interesting to see, I mean, what a soundbite is people sh- shoving their own legs down their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting to see how much Oscars have changed even in the last few years of not just the films that get out there, but the films that are recognized for what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, and, you know, some of the very interesting stuff you're talking about Minari there, about the, the newcomer experience. I I wish I was able to see this movie before I made my my top 10 films of the year episode because it's now my number one. I absolutely adored this movie. And I think, you know, sometimes you can have... Um, a story where it can be so hyper specific and the more specific it is almost the more general you can make it and understand it. Um, so, you know, I can look at this. I'm not an immigrant. I'm not someone, you know, I'm, I'm a white man. So obviously I've never had to deal with, with the sort of prejudice that a lot of people have because of the color of their skin and trying to start from nothing and rebuild, even though they've already tried in a different city already and whole bunch of stuff that are going on in that. But it's almost like the more specific you make the story, it almost becomes even more relatable then sometimes. And, and Minari is that for me. Yeah, I mean, I've heard pretty much from everyone that it is their favorite film of the year. Um, I think it's interesting, uh, scrolling through the Wikipedia, of course, um, that uh, that the director, Lee Isaac Chung, who also wrote it, uh, talked about how he originally wanted to do an adaptation of Maya Tania, which I had read a long time ago. It's a it is a um, a novel, kind of the same sort of story about the newcomer experience living in more rural America in the 19th century. And that he sort of just took, he didn't adapt it at all. It sort of just instead used that as a jumping off point for his own upbringing and telling that story. But there's something really nice about those kind of hyper-specific, like this is just this story um, and that it can go a long way. And it's interesting seeing so much of the 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 feedback and critique and, and all that i mean the criticism is very very good um but a lot of it basically saying uh a lot of it saying it, it's, it's not really about like where you're going it's just the journey to get there and that that kind of speaks to me for this movie for sure but i find really interesting i will say 
This was filmed in 25 days, which doesn't surprise me based on what I know about the film. Um, but that, that, that's even like, you don't need to have months and months of filming. Um, not saying a lot of dramas need a long filming time like a Marvel movie, but, um, that's still an interesting, uh, interesting tidbit there. Yeah, well, almost the entire movie takes place on their property in their trailer home and, and stuff like that. There's there's some scenes at the workplace that they work at, but other than that, it's a it's a pretty. I I don't want to say low budget. It's just like it's a very economical movie in that sense. Um, but this has some great you know statistics behind it. Uh, Stephen Yuen, who was nominated for best actor, became the first ever Asian American nominated for best actor. Uh, its producer Christina O oh, is the first Asian American woman to ever receive a best picture nomination. And you know we're talking about different diversity. Nine people of color were nominated for the acting awards this year out of twenty, and that is the most ever, which is absolutely fantastic. Um. You know, we're talking about, we've got in the Best Actor category, uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Stephen Yuen from Minari, Viola Davis from Ma Rainey, Andre Day from the United States versus Billie Holiday, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield from um, Judas and the Black Messiah, Yuan Young, Yuan Yu Young from Minari, uh, and yeah, that, that's all nine of them, which is, you know, you just have to absolutely be so happy for, and, and finally, the recognition that all these talented artists are finally getting. And yet, nine out of 20 is not even close to representative of, of like, the American populace. That's mm-hmm. still far too low. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it's, it's, it's that move in the right direction, especially when you have a few years not too long ago, where it's pretty much like, you know, 18 out of 20 were white people. Um, and that, it, and that, that sort of recognition, like it's moving into, into, and I, and I just want to keep saying this is that, that there needs to be more films that just are filmed by people of color, period. And that those films aren't just sh- shoved to the side, which I think is, is again, the slow kind of move the needle. Um, and I think like looking at all these names, you know, there's some, you know, there's always going to be the Glenn Closes, um, and there's always going to be the, uh, the Francis McDormand who I, 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 from my, the way I understand it, will probably win. Um, uh, Andre Day was amazing, though, uh, having seen one of these films. Um, and then uh, I think Chadwick Boseman, um, you know, I, I personally didn't love Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is another film I have seen. Viola Davis was incredible. And I, I also think she might win. Um, but uh, Chadwick Boseman, to me, wasn't th- this... Um, this seems like both a he was really good in this film, but he's been really good in all of his films, and that this might be that posthumous award, which he very much would deserve. Um, but I would need to see basically all the other films to make a better a better judgment of that as well. Yeah, I've seen all of the nominees except for Anthony Hopkins. I haven't seen The Father yet. I I was only so so on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I think it was both Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. I think it was, it was pretty inarguable that they were putting on some powerhouse acting performances, even if, you know, the entire movie was a little too stagey for me. It was basically uh, just one monologue waiting until the next monologue was going to happen. Yeah. I, I knew within 10 minutes of watching that it was based on a play. And, uh, and as I watched it with my in-laws family, they were like, Oh yes, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know going into that. Um, But, and and so you're right, but you're right. It is, it is some excellent acting. I think it just wasn't for me. Um, in terms of, in terms of the style of the, the, the staginess, but I do, I do revile Davis was astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess of, of any of the other big 
best picture uh, contenders. Is there anything else you really want to say, or we can kind of maybe talk about some more of the surprising nominations overall? I'll just really say that I feel like I've completely missed out on Judas and the Black Messiah because it looks incredible. And then we'll probably be watching it in the next week. <laughs> yeah, that was a movie that a lot of these I was able to get so far ahead because they were, you know, coming out quite early due to, you know, festival screening. And then their the rights were basically being picked up by streamers because they knew they weren't going to get theatrical releases or Netflix and Amazon Prime just really trying their their damnedest to to really put uh, a statement on their their presence in the marketplace so so they were able to release a bunch of them either exclusively or by buying the rights to them afterwards uh, but yeah, Jews and the Black Messiah only premiered at Sundance about a month ago and then it like came out a week after Sundance so it was like super late to the party. And I was actually just recently a guest on another podcast where we were trying to predict the nominations. And a lot of the the prognosticators were kind of discounting this movie. And I was like, it came out so late. The reviews have been so good. You're looking at why wasn't it nominated for Golden Globes and different critic circles awards and all this sort of stuff because they didn't have a chance to actually see it. Of course, it's going to look like it's underperforming, and and I was I was able to see it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it is phenomenal. It is a really impactful film, and of course, as soon as you watch it, it's exactly the type of movie that is going to be on Oscars landscape this time around. But the benefit it has this time more than anything is that if the the timeline wasn't extended, just imagining what movies come out this year could have missed in the 2022 Oscars. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does benefit from that. But I'm also grateful that it only came out a month ago too. So I don't feel like I've completely missed the boat entirely. So I will be watching that one. Yeah. All right. uh, So I guess we'll talk about maybe some, uh, some of the crazier ones. I think for me, the craziest thing that popped out was Thomas Vinterberg, the director of another round, the Danish film managed to sneak in for best director. When I first saw it, Last year, I was like, oh, man, that would be crazy if Thomas Vinterberg in another round made uh, Best Picture and Best Director list. But as kind of things started shaking out more, that was such a long shot. And looking at uh, at Gold Derby's uh, predictions, he was ranked 10th that he was managed to leapfrog six people to come in the fifth spot was absolutely shocking to me. And the fact that they did it without getting a Best Picture nomination as well, frankly, only getting one other nomination, Best International Film, I have no idea how, what the director's branch was, you know, I love this movie, why their wavelength was completely different from the rest of the academies. Um, But I mean, that was, I, I think that pays off in a way. It's one of those things where it's sort of like, now you know, it's very likely another round will win international feature because Vinterberg probably won't win director. Um, not to say like, I, I, I'm I, having only just read about the other four nominees for international feature, but um, it is interesting to see that because I agree most of the time it's usually, you know, we're going to see that see it in best director and best picture won't win either necessarily um, for an international feature, but it, it's, that's definitely, especially when you look at the list of names too, it's a bit more out of left field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Academy very much likes to do, uh, especially if, if films are nominated in multiple categories, basically this is your consolation prize. So like I often say that the screenplay categories are the consolation prize for, for not giving it to the best picture, like a movie that's a little outside their, their usual taste or something like that. Uh, and they would do it with something like this, where Vinterberg is clearly not going to win Best Director. I think already International Film was was another round to lose because that was the only one that seemed like a lock. Every other 
movie was like you could have mixed in any number of combinations of, of potential nominees and it, and it sounded right. Uh, but another round I think was is basically a foregone conclusion. If you want to put any money on any award, that would probably be the safest bet of the entire Oscars to do so. Um, you look at something like uh, Soul House, also nominated for original score and uh, and best sound as well. That means it's 100% going to win uh, best animated feature, which we probably could have guessed that already. But, uh, but the fact that when these types of movies that are usually contained in one category start branching out, that's usually a sign mm-hmm. of how well they're liked. I'll speak to best animated really quickly because it's kind of a like it's a it's a predictable category. You have um, you have two pick, Pixar's. Um, you have the Over the Moon, which was way better than it had any right to be. Um, not saying that that it shouldn't be good. It's just I was very surprised. Um, but I think what I like the most about it is that this is sort of the category of streamers more than anything. Onward came to D plus pretty quickly. Soul was a non premier access uh, release on Disney Plus. Wolf Walkers is Apple TV Plus, and Over the Moon was Netflix in, in North America at least. And then Shaun the Sheep, you know, that standard pseudo canal random European animated film. Um, but you know, you see this list and you're like, yeah, soul. Like there's no question, there's no question about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how relationships with streamers once theaters can open more safely or more widely. If we're going to see animated stuff really come out, because a lot of the streamers in the TV realm, they're really diving deep into, into animation and in, in anime style animation too for TV. And I think that, that, the fact that there's more films that I think might gravitate towards that direction will be really interesting to see for future years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this was the only category where I was able to correctly predict five out of the five nominees. It was just such a foregone conclusion that it was going to be these five. The one that you didn't mention was Wolfwalkers, which is uh, an Irish film. Absolutely love it. If if Pixar didn't exist, if Disney Pixar employees didn't completely dominate the the voting block, uh, Wolf Walkers would be the winner. It's a it's a cartoon saloon movie. They've been nominated, I think, three or four other times. Most recently for the Breadwinner, uh, but also for uh, the Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, I believe, were the other two. Uh, this is an absolutely gorgeous film. If anyone has not seen it, if you have Apple TV, it is very much worth a watch. Yeah, I was sort of more speaking to the fact that it's interesting that it came to Apple TV so quickly after it sort of started going, um, go kind of getting out in theaters in some parts of the world, which is, you know, that's the big challenge for all the movies in last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little surprised about uh, Borat 2 getting, I think it was pretty much a, a lock that Maria Bakalova was going to get supporting actress a nomination for that. But I, I was surprised that it did end up getting a... Uh, adapted screenplay nomination now i do remember that the first borat film did get an original screenplay nomination but uh the academy really likes sasha baron cohen he also gets nominated for supporting actor for the trial of the chicago seven and if he somehow wins for that i think it's going to be a a combination sort of award for the year for him uh and that sort of sequence so i was really sort of surprised of the overperformance of that yeah i i was surprised too i think it's a recognition of sort of a the challenging feat of, you know, sequels just are super, super, super hard to, to pull off. Um, Maria Bakalova, I think, is a total total lock. I hope that she doesn't have the um, the that issue of sort of like we, we never see her again because now she's an Academy-nominated actress um, who, who broke in this kind of very surprising role. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be good, good to see her and stuff again, whether it's Hollywood film or otherwise. Um, I think the adaptive screenplay, I don't think I've ever seen so many names um, after the name of the film, not to mention the length of the name of the film too. Um, I think you're right. I think that it's possible that there's going to be 
um, an award for him of some kind, but it's really hard to kind of say um, he's going to be in the industry forever. I don't know if this is the right time to sort of choose him for best supporting actor. Um, I saw part of Trials of Chicago Seven, didn't love it, so there you go. Um, and uh, and that's not enough for me to make a distinction on that category. But yes, also very very surprised to sort of see his name for a separate film, and then you know beside it Maria Bakalova for best supporting actress as well. I think the most absolutely head scratching film on this entire list is Pinocchio. A lot of people will be like, what do you mean? Like the Disney one from the, whenever that was in the 1930s or the 1940s. It's like, no, not that one. It's not like it got re-released. And then, you know, obviously there's, there's talk about how Guillermo del Toro was working on an adaptation. It's like, oh, did that come out and I missed it? No, this is an Italian film done by a previous Academy Award winner, Roberto Benini, who did a version of it. And it looks absolutely terrifying. I don't know if that's intentional, although Pinocchio as a story as itself does terrify me. But the fact that it got two nominations is absolutely crazy to me. Me and like I, I don't really know how or why why was it so beloved it, it got nominated for uh best hair and makeup and best costume design and I, I, when i'm looking at it, i've seen very little i've seen some clips it first of all it's, it's kind of wild that 20 years later roberto benini's just in pinocchio again but now he's he's not the boy that's the difference <laughs> um they uh, apparently it's a film that's almost entirely practical effects and that's i think where um, where the Academy is just kind of head over heels for it. But I was also very surprised. I was like, wait, Disney's isn't until later this year or next year. The exact same thought that popped into my mind. But really quickly, just a costume design, I will say Mulan was a disappointment. It was fun. It was fine. Mulan, the original Mulan was one of my favorite animated movies. Um, so to see it in costume design, yeah, it sort of makes sense. But it's also like, you know, fine. <laughs> um, it's not going to win. Um, and to be honest, a lot of Disney films rarely do uh, outside of the animated range or the song, the music range. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeing it, it is interesting to see uh, something like Pinocchio just kind of pop up that people are just like big question mark about what that is. <laughs> I will say Mulan's two nominations for, for visual effects and costume design. I thought the movie overwhelmingly was pretty mediocre. I'm perfectly fine with those two nominations because I think they're they're pretty well deserved. The costumes especially are gorgeous in that movie. Yeah, I mean, the likelihood is actually reasonably high that it might win for visual effects. Um, it's, uh, Midnight Sky was fine. It wasn't, it didn't kind of blow my mind. Tenet is Tenet, which we won't talk about. You know, I'm shocked Tenet didn't get nominated for best sound though. Really? Oh, I'm, I'm just so kidding. happy it didn't. <laughs> There's no way in the world it would have been. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that Gold Derby was still predicting that they're going to get a nomination for Best Sound, and I, like, I was ready to stake my entire reputation on that, considering that was basically the only f- criticism that everyone had about the movie. People that loved the movie, people that hated the movie, people that just thought it was okay, everyone said that they could not understand any of the dialogue. Um, I remember when, when our friend was the first one to see it and he, he was a former sound designer and he's like, Ooh, this movie sound is awful. I was like, okay, now is, is this just Scott, you know, with his supersonic hearing and former industry background, really nitpicking about this. And, you know, I saw it too. I was like, Ooh, this sound is terrible. <laughs> and then I, I texted you today saying, why is, why is there only one sound category? And you explained that people were confused because I used to be between sound editing and sound mixing. So in many ways, it's good that they merged it because there was often a lot of overlap. But again, it also made sure Tenet was kept out. Um, but I'm sure if, I don't know if, if you've seen it or if folks listening have seen it, um, the best way to watch Tenet apparently is on five separate cartridges on the Game Boy Advance. Um, <laughs> at the lowest possible frame rate, 
<laughs> with the with the the very low bit rate um, stereo of the Game Boy Advance, but I will find a way to get those cartridges and see that movie the way it was truly never ever meant to be seen or heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that at least at the very least that's um, that's something worth sharing. <laughs> now, do you perhaps work for Zack Snyder and his decision making of making releasing a movie in an almost square format? Uh, I am very upset about a film coming out that people will only be able to watch at home on their widescreen TVs. It's all this real estate that's not going to be used. But I guarantee you that some academy somewhere is going to give it one heck of an award because I have heard the CGI will be good. <laughs> all things told, we're not here for the Razzies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is. Uh, I will stop diverting the subject to that uh, because I really don't want to have to watch it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you so, were so lucky there's a pandemic on because I would be making you watch it with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I know, I know you would, and I know I would absolutely sit through it. <sighs> um, you don't have to be awake the whole time. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, looking at maybe some other sort of surprises that really popped out for me, Lakeith Stanfield, who somehow is uh, he is committing some category fraud. He was being. Uh, promote it for best actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. And that's the way the film, the studio was promoting him as. And for some reason, the Academy decided to put him into the supporting actor category. I have no idea why, especially when he's going up against Daniel Kaluuya, who is the front runner for supporting actor. No idea why. I, I, I have absolutely, I'm, I'm completely baffled by this. I know a lot of people are baffled. This is direct category fraud and it's really frustrating when it happens. Uh, it almost seems like a mistake more than anything because it's like now, now you have the Amy Adams versus Amy Adams thing from a number of years ago uh, that it like is going to now keep Daniel Kaluuya from from winning as well. That's it seems like a. I will say this though, I think we're going to see Lakeith Stanfield's name a lot in the Oscar nominations. I mean, it, I, I think this is his first, but the a couple of other things I've seen him in, he's outstanding. So. I do I do hope for it at least. Yeah, he is such a great actor. Um I was hoping Glenn Close wouldn't get nominated. I was also hoping Andre Day wouldn't get nominated. You you maybe can speak to this a little bit more, but uh the United States versus Billy Holiday just really did not look that good to me. I know uh you're you're a diva fan, so maybe give me the lowdown a little bit. Is this movie worth watching? Um you know, I'm putting I'm being put on the spot. Um Lady Sings the Blues is one of my husband's favorite movies of all time and not just because Diana Ross starred in it and lost the Academy Award to Liza Minnelli that year. We're still sore about it. Um and I love Liza too. Anyway, it the, the movie was good. It's very much a, you know, Andre Day is a a singer um is a is a stage um is more of a stage person. It's it's kind of like a um it I liked the movie. I was surprised to see her there. She did do a fantastic job. Um, but I mean, she's not Diana Ross and that's sort of the benchmark I play against. Um, yeah, it, it did seem a bit of a surprise to be honest. Um, but I think that it was sort of just a, uh, I, I think it was just sort of like a, uh, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's sort of a recognition of that film a little bit, just the story it's telling, um, even if it doesn't tell it super fantastically. Um, and I think it's sort of challenging when you have like Francis McDormand and Viola Davis. It's like, well, everyone else is just here at the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty fair. Um, another surprise for me was Netflix's The White Tiger. Uh, the nominations were announced today by Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra Jonas, and she stars and produce the white tiger. So when she read that out loud, she kind of shocked herself at that. 
just because I don't think anyone was really considering this to get in. I know uh, news of the world and I'm thinking of ending things. And even Ma Rainey's Black Bottom were, were kind of in contention for that. And the fact that it managed to squeak in, especially on top of Borat 2, which was already a bit of a surprise, kind of threw the whole category for a loop. I think adapted screenplay is, is starting to branch out a bit more, I would say. Um, when you look at the last decades, like you're seeing more things from comic books, almost exclusively everything's from novel. But now we're seeing, we're seeing plays, uh, um, we're seeing, you know, sequels, previous stories based on characters, previous versions of the film um, that are a little more out there. Um, I would say that it's, it's a, I wonder if it's a bit more of a recognition of who the writers are now than even just that one film. Um, like, how do you capture how do you capture everything about that one film if you can? Uh, but it is interesting looking back at the last, I'd say, five years um, of, of best adapted screenplays. And I think that over the years, there's been an increase in obscurity, um, but then also an increase in surprises. Yeah, that, that's completely true. And I'm really interested to sort of see where things go from there, because it used to almost basically be, OK, there's up to 10 nominees for best picture. There's five adapted screenplays, five original screenplays, you're basically going to get all the best picture nominees into there. And then you'll have like the one or two that didn't make the best picture cut. And those would be the two sort of outliers of those groups. But yeah, it's sort of starting to to split just ever so slightly. And you know, if I was to compare the two categories, the movies that didn't get nominated for best picture include uh, Borat, uh, One Night in Miami, The White Tiger, uh, and yeah, that would, that would be it because all of the original screenplays do line up with, with best picture nominees as well. So, so yeah, there's some differences going on there. It'll be interesting to see it with 10 nominees. Are we going to see five of them original screenplay, five are adapted screenplay, or are we going to see a little more branching? Um, it's hard to say, especially because for adapted screenplay in particular, like I said, this is the year where more of those blockbusters or bigger films that have been delayed for over a year are finally coming out in theory. Um, do things like that. Obviously, I'm going to say Dune. You know, I haven't seen it. I'm just going to assume it's going to get a few nominations <laughs> next year, um, if nothing else, for visual effects because of, of everything. Um, is it going to be one of those things where now maybe we're going to see something more different in screenplay than we'd seen Best Picture? I don't know. I think that there's there's something to be said for having way more films. Kind of like you said, one film with 10 nominations, six films with six does seem kind of like, hey, you can pretty much log into Netflix and see most of the stuff, which is great. But then there's also drawbacks to it of sort of what gets recognized as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of maybe a, a good place to to end off. Unless you have any any final thoughts on the nominees as a whole, what movies are are you maybe now uh, bumping to the top of your watch list? Sure, I'll I'll answer your first question, your your second question first, and then I have a couple really quick things to share. Um, I, I definitely do need to see Judas and the Black Messiah. I um, probably should watch Nomad Land um, and Minari. I should get around to Mank. <laughs> he said, even though he didn't want to, <laughs> um, uh, just just a handful of those. Uh, nothing really is is. It's been. I'm sure a lot of people can can relate. It's been hard to sort of do certain things during the pandemic, and movies really has been one of them for me. Um, some TV shows I'm getting through, but if you look at my watch list, it's all old stuff right now. Some stuff I've seen before, some stuff I haven't. 
I most recently watched Titan AE on Disney Plus with Star. It was amazing, just as good as I remember. Um, so it's it's kind of a uh, I'm going to keep a, more of an eye out on on this stuff. What I do really quickly want to share is just talking about the music categories. You did talk about before Mank and Soul, basically having Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, Soul, I, I mean, in my mind, Soul has to win. But the thing that stands out for me, bar none, is that the song Husavik from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, which was a terrible but amazing movie um, last year. I'm just excited for the fact that it's going to be performed um, by the original voice singer, not the the fake Rachel McAdams lip syncing version um, to it. It's just I just think it's a fabulous song. It's not going to win, but it's just nice to see, you know, it, it, I find increasingly musicals don't get their uh, songs in the best original song category anymore. It's usually the, the movie song. So the, the, the credit song or kind of the song to promote the movie or whatever it might be. Um, Speak Now is sort of a, a, I'm pretty sure Speak Now is is used in One Night in Miami as well and, and to an extent. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see a musical move, a musical song getting in there that won't win. <laughs> Yep, that's that's pretty fair. It seems that category as a whole has definitely become uh, what are the most socially important songs of the year, basically, the the message songs. Yeah. And the fact that yeah. Yusevic managed to get in uh, was, was definitely a bit of a pleasant surprise because I agree. It was, it was a, I put off watching that for the longest time. It's fun. Like, I'm not going to say it's a great movie by any means, but it was fun. It is a movie that I genuinely finished. I was like, yeah, I could watch that again, which I really don't say about a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> that That is completely fair. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for, for sharing your hot takes with me as we went over these. This is not going to be the end of me talking about the Oscars. Uh, it's going to be a brief break next week. Uh, reviewing South by Southwest films, but the next three weeks after that, we're going to be breaking down more intensely each of the Best Picture nominees with some really fantastic guests lined up, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But yeah, once again, Sammy, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, and I'm going to go mentally prepare myself for four hours of really drab Zack Snyder. <laughs> well, you enjoy that, and give me your review. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I did a guest appearance on the Oscars Death Race podcast with recent guest of this show, Paulo Bautista. We made our predictions of who we thought would get nominated for the Oscars, along with some more in-depth conversations on First Cow, The Father, and News of the World. I'll include a link in the show notes. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Make sure you visit ContraZoomPod.com for all your CZP needs. Today's show is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it would be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.